Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. We're back today with our friend Pete Hoekstra, Ambassador Pete Hoekstra, to talk about national security, threats to America, where we are and, and where we hope to go from here. As you all know, he was head of the House, uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, ambassador to uh, uh, the Netherlands, and uh, he's chairman of, of the uh, Center for Security Policy's Board of Advisors. Pete, welcome. It's great to be back. Thank you. Okay, it's great to have you back. And uh, I'm very involved with the Center for Security or, uh, uh, Security policy, and uh, Pete's a key player there, and I, we want to make this part of our regular conversation about how to save America from all the forces of evil out there. We there got are to plenty talk, of those. We yeah. got to talking before uh, the show, and, and let's go big picture here. You've been involved in this for decades, and you've been assessing security uh, risks and both internal and external. What, what are the big things that worry you right now? The, the big things that worry me uh, and part of it is what's coming out of the Biden administration, you know, at the U.N. You know, recently the president addressed the U.N., his big unga speech, as they call it. And painfully, I watched it twice because after watching it the first time live, I kind of said, I think he just said we're not at war. Yeah. And I had to go back through and I watched it again to find if he really said that. And the disappointing thing was... Uh, he did say it, and he said it at the 32-minute mark of a 33-minute speech. So I had to listen to the speech twice. But it's kind of like, you know, we, and we focused on this at the Center for Security Policy for a long time with, with Frank Gaffney and now Fred Flights. You know, the radical jihadists, the Muslim extremists who are the protectors of the faith, when we left Afghanistan, they didn't say, ah, the war is over. They're, they still want to establish the caliphate. Uh, they still want to kill the infidels. Uh, and they are in a better position to do that today than perhaps at any time since 2001. You know, they, they have Afghanistan back. They have $85 billion worth of American equipment. Uh, and I think most people in America recognize this threat. The second threat is I think that, you know, I. We, I listened to Ted Cruz speak at a Republican conference in Michigan recently, and Ted made two statements. He said, I'm going to start off by telling you the truth. And the first thing is, America is a great country. Because obviously, even that concept is under attack today. Mm -hmm. Okay, but he said, you know, America is a great country. And then he said... And the Chinese are bastards. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, whoa, you don't usually hear this at a Republican conference or a politician being that blunt. But when you talk about the genocide, when you talk about the organ harvesting and those types of things, but when you talk about what they're doing economically, China is a huge threat to us, and we underestimate this threat. Personally, I believe that they've gone as far as they didn't intentionally released the Wuhan virus. It escaped from their lab. But once it was out, they recognized that they had an opportunity to move their agenda forward. Um, and they let this escape. They facilitated the spread of the Wuhan virus uh, to the rest of the world because they knew that America 
in Europe, we would respond very differently than what they would. You know, they don't care if they lose another three, four, five million people. We care about every single individual. Well, no, they don't care. But it was, it was hardly nuanced. I mean, they, they, they stopped all the flights internal in right. China. But if you wanted to go to Switzerland or California, you know, go. And so they just basically put people on planes and said, let's see what happens. Yeah, and Italy. And Italy, yeah, northern the, Italy. Northern Italy, which I never knew. It's kind of like, why did this thing break out in northern Italy? There are a tremendous number of Chinese workers in northern Italy. And they, you know, they were there. They were home for the Chinese New Year. And the Chinese let them go back to, uh, to Italy. And that's why you had the huge outbreak beginning in Italy. Well, the thing about China, they're so, they talk about their three warfares or four warfares. I've forgotten how many warfares. There are a lot of them. There's the, the obviously kinetic warfare, and but there's economic, there's cultural, there's... Uh, law and they're using all these tools to win and and they've they've done a successful job infiltrating our media our intellectual establishment so when we wanted to when trump was president he wanted to call it chinese virus that was yep. politically incorrect and right. they were behind not letting us call it what it is absolutely through american corporations through american media and these types of things. And, you know, we call the Spanish flu the Spanish flu. But you couldn't call the Wuhan virus the Wuhan virus. They're, they're players in the WHO. And the scary thing on this is, and this is why I think you've seen some of the things with Dr. Fauci and, and others. Think about this, Bill. The United States Congress approved money to go to Dr. Fauci for research, and he sent some of that money to the Wuhan virus, to the Wuhan virology lab. America fund, and it's kind of like you sit there and say, "Who in the United States would be would think that sending money to a military lab controlled by the Chinese Communist Party was a good idea?" Who would, you know, say, ah, yeah, we can, we can work with these folks on, you know, these coronavirus, these deadly coronaviruses and these types of things. And the bottom line is it's, it's some of our chief medical officers who made that decision. Scary. And then they tried to hide it. Remember Dr. Fauci on TV saying, Senator, you are the only liar in this room. I think he was talking to Senator Rand Paul. Strong stuff. Strong but stuff. Why did, why did Trump, uh, I don't know how close you were to why did Trump trust him so much? Why did he give him so much power? Trump has never, President Trump has never been the best evaluator of talent. Well. <laughs> okay. He continued to go with, we saw in the State Department, stuff that we would send into the State Department that would go into people that we would identify as never Trumpers. And, it would, and it's kind of like, why are they, you know, screening stuff or providing us direction and those kinds of things? I think the, the president, uh, I don't know why specifically on, on Fauci and all of that, but as, as we've now seen later on, Dr. Fauci was a political animal and someone 
who was more than willing to undercut the president of the United States of America. Yeah. Coming back to your first point about we are not at war, we obviously are at war. Where, where do you see this going in Afghanistan now that we've pulled out, pulled up roots there? Well, you know, the narrative is the Taliban is going to be a reformed Taliban. You know, they've been very gentlemanly-like since we've been negotiating with them. Um, Didn't they just hang four people in a square? They, they hung four people. So they only hung four. That's kinder and gentler. No, it wasn't no, no, those, 40. Those, those are the four we know about. All right, yeah. Remember, okay. that somebody's put a whole blanket over Afghanistan because well, of the, the news coming out. But, yeah, I talked to uh, Sharon Spann last, last week. And so who is Sharon Spann? Her husband is Michael. Uh, CIA guy, one of the horsemen that went into Afghanistan almost immediately after 9-11. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first guys, no, not one of, the first American killed in Afghanistan. She was also part of the uh, intelligence community. And, you know, she, so, and she's married now. She's remarried to a former agent <coughs> who worked in Afghanistan. And, you know, they're saying, there's no there's a difference between Al Qaeda, the Taliban, uh, and this ISIS K that they're talking about. But they have a whole lot more in common than what separates them. They mm -hmm. all hate us. They want to destroy us. So they see Afghanistan going back to being a safe haven for terrorists to plan, prepare, train to attack us again, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in Africa, or whether it's in the homeland. So that's, that's a given. They are totally distraught because they're the ones that went and recruited, you know, local Afghans to be our eyes and ears in the country, to keep the country secure, safe. And when you go in and you're recruiting, you say, don't worry, trust us. We will not desert you. You know, we will protect you. And we've now left thousands of those people behind. Uh, you know, so they are going to get hung. They're going to get tortured. Uh, and she said, you know, we're getting, I'm getting contact all the time from people that I know or people that knew Michael saying, help us, get us out. Um, you know, so now Afghanistan is going to become the hotbed of radical jihadist groups because they now see it as a safe haven. And what happened is they see this as a replicating what happened with the Soviet Union. Remember, they, they beat the Soviets in Afghanistan. And a short time later, the Soviet Union collapsed. And so they're enthused, they're motivated, and they're saying it's going to be the same thing all over. We defeated the Americans here in Afghanistan. And if we, if we keep the pressure on, we will now defeat and take down the great Satan, which I'm not sure they ever believed that they could. It's always been their motivation. But they never, you know, when we were there killing them and taking out bin Laden, keeping the pressure on, it's kind of like that's what their goal was. But I'm not ever sure that they believed it was an achievable goal. Now... All of a sudden, it looks achievable. So they're motivated in Afghanistan. They're motivated in Iraq. They're motivated in northern Africa and Nigeria and all of these places. Because, look, we beat the great Satan. Well, 
picking up the way we did and leaving completely, leaving Bagram Air Base, uh, abandoning the embassy, leaving not a single American in there uh, except for those we left behind, Yeah, uh, take the Army out, was, I think, crazy. I mean, it seems to me like we should have kept a footprint there, and now we've got the spectacle of the joint chief, head of the Joint Chief of Staff and our Defense Secretary saying, no, no, no. We we advised the president that we we ought to leave twenty five hundred troops in there. We ought to keep Bagram Air Base, and Biden has been on record as saying that nobody told him that. Now, right. they may have a chance of taking down the great Satan because we've got Joe Biden as president. I mean, the guy's is he? What what you're you're closer to this than I am. <laughs> what's your estimate about what's really going on here? The, the 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 throwing Biden under the bus the way they are and. Nobody's, they're pointing like this in terms of taking responsibility. Well, one of the things that I've, you know, I've called for Blinken, Austin, and Milley all to resign oh. uh, and be taken out. What, okay. we, what we saw in, you know, recent congressional hearings and that, they're all survivors. They know the Washington game. Uh, they are bureaucrats, and they know how to survive, and they know how to escape accountability. Now, who's in charge? You know, clearly the White House is in charge. Now, whether that means Joe Biden is in charge on all of these decisions or not, uh, I just don't know. But, you know, there's it's clear that you've got some chaos or uncertainty in the White House uh, or in the top levels of this administration. It's pretty unusual where, you know, a month, six weeks after the kind of debacle that we had in Afghanistan, that you have the president and his top military advisors saying, you know, like you said, one's pointing the fingers at the other saying, well, nobody told me. And they Mm -hmm. said, yeah, we did. We told you what was going to happen. And the bottom line is we still have thousands of, we still have thousands of Americans there. We have thousands of Afghans who have this special, uh, immigration visa because they, you know, they performed work that endangers their lives today. They're still there. Uh, I've met with uh, some of my former counterparts from the Netherlands. You know, they're furious with America. They're not sure that they can trust America moving forward because the way we pulled out, they left people behind. The Dutch, the Dutch don't have the capability to airlift out, you know, hundreds of. Dutch or Afghans who worked with the Dutch. They relied on us. They're now trying to scramble uh, and get people out. And the message is, our only strategy today is, well, we're going to ask the Taliban to help get these people out. (laughs) And if you're an American or if you're an Afghan saying, and you're hearing the American president or our, our military leaders saying, you know, don't worry, we're working with the Taliban to get you out. I'm sure there are lots of Afghans who are saying, no, 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 no. Don't, we don't really need that kind of help. You've already yeah. given them the list of who we are. We're not sure whether we're on that list, but don't give them any more names and say, oh, can you help us get these people home? Yeah. Uh, you're watching the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Ambassador Pete Hoekstra, and we're talking about Afghanistan and the aftermath. How many Americans do you think are still there? 
it's more than the 100. Okay. Who they see, you know, they, they keep saying it's a hundred, but you know, they're dual citizens. So for some of those, it doesn't really matter. So we're maybe worried about 40 or 50. It's and, in the hundreds and, and, and maybe and, up to a thousand. And, and, and or 2, I, I, I've heard there are like 50 school kids that are left there. Now is that, we Could don't be. know. We don't Very know. Possible. But the thing is so troubling and it's, we're seeing this with, but let me go back to you, your comment. You just said that that's yeah. important. We don't know. Yeah. It's because the media has put a blanket over all reporting on what's going on in Afghanistan. If there's 50 American kids in Afghanistan, well, why is the media well, not well, all well, over well, it? Well, that's, that's where I was going. This yeah. new, the news blackout here, the news blackout, you're not allowed to talk domestically, you're not allowed to talk about vaccines. You know, YouTube has now said that anything yeah. talking about vaccines, that they're not a big plus, is going to get pulled. Same thing's happening in Afghanistan. Things, same thing's happening with a lot of things happening with China. It's just not being covered. Yeah. I mean, we start, we start feeling like a Stalinist Marxist state where, you know, and we have, you know, we have this Marine who said it's time for accountability. So as Miley and Austin and Blinken, you know, the leaders, and I don't believe they're leaders, uh, leaders take accountability and responsibility for what they do. Uh, but this poor Marine, and, you know, he maybe spoke out of uh, the chain of command. But he's now in prison. Yeah, this uh, was Lieutenant Colonel uh, Stuart uh, Scheller, I think okay, is his yeah. name. And he did a YouTube video just last week saying this was nuts to pull out the way we did. We told him everybody on the ground knew that this was a mistake. And I guess they told him to be quiet. And then he decided he wasn't going to be quiet, so he went ahead and put another YouTube video out. And now they've got him in jail. He's the only person who's been held responsible for anything in Afghanistan. And if anything, he's talked to his friends. And maybe, I don't know if he served in Afghanistan or not. Okay. Well, Scheller wasn't in. I thought I don't he was. know. I don't know. I, I think he was. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm pretty sure. He okay. Was. Yeah. And you know, the Marines don't leave anybody behind. Yeah. And so this guy is absolutely furious, and he's probably got friends then in Afghanistan yeah. that have been left behind who are calling him. And again, when I talk to, to Shannon Span, they're distraught about this. Okay. These are people that they promised we will take care of you and we will not leave you behind. And these are people who for, you know, five years, 10 years, some of them maybe for 15 did everything we asked them to do. We left Bagram in the middle of the night the Afghans in the in the base woke up in the morning and where are the Americans? Yeah, they left. Uh, I think I think it was. Uh, I heard somebody describe it, and, and it's like, okay, <coughs> here's the challenge to you as the military. You're going to have to evacuate tens of thousands of Americans, uh, SIV holders, and this similar type of people from other countries. You can use, uh, you can either use the equivalent of O'Hare Airport, and what we decided to do is we decided to use Midway. <laughs> All right, and I don't know how many of your listeners have know the difference, but Midway is smack dab in a neighborhood in Chicago, and it's got one runway. Uh, and it was built in 1935 or something. I right, mean, it's and just, that's what yeah, we did yeah. in Afghanistan. Yeah. We decided, well, you know, uh, instead of using Dulles, we're going to use National downtown. It's kind of like, who made this decision? Well, uh, but no, this Marine is being held accountable. 
Um, and so, he's in jail, and these other guys are getting a pass. And like I said, they're survivors, not leaders. From your seat, having been head of the House Intelligence Committee, do we have any levers to hold these people accountable? I mean, it's, it's, it, are we just sitting here on the sidelines saying, gee, somebody should do this, but nobody is going to do it? Is any, is, is, are there any way the Republicans in Congress could pull themselves together to say we demand uh, the resignations of Blinken, well, uh, Austin, and Milton? What Miley? I suggested is that we censure yeah. the three of them. Okay. Okay. They're approved by the Senate, so they're different than a national security advisor. But they're approved by Congress, by the Senate. There's widespread bipartisan support and acknowledgement that these guys failed to do their job. And rather than calling for their impeachment and removal in that way, uh, I've suggested <clears throat> you censure. I think that's the strongest position for Republicans to take uh, and have the Democrats say no on a motion of censure saying, Millie, you didn't do your job because I think the vast majority of, of Americans believe he didn't do his job. Blinken, you have totally screwed this up. You know, I think Americans would say, okay, fine, because I think the impeachment thing, uh, especially under Donald Trump, they, it has no meaning anymore, okay? They, they rushed the second one through and no hearings and, we, you know, we're going to impeach the guy. Um, it's become too political, but I think if, if you step back at this point and offer a motion of censure, and if these three individuals were actually censured by Congress, they would resign because a, a motion of censure would say we've lost confidence in you to effectively. Who in Congress would lead that? Who do we need to? Who do we need to reach out to to say? We, we would take anybody. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then you don't have any obvious candidates to. Well, no. Uh, I mean, you got uh, you know the, the people, uh, a Josh Hawley, a Tom okay. Cotton, uh, a Ted Cruz, uh, a Marsha Blackburn, you know, a senator or whatever to take this up. You know, this should be something that uh, Kevin McCarthy in the House of Representatives, you know, the minor minority leader, should go and say we're going to press well, Nancy right. Pelosi to make this decision. We want to vote. <laughs> Well, we're 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 fighting our war for freedom on a lot of fronts. I mean, we've we talked about Afghanistan, obviously, but we're also fighting at home. I mean, this reconciliation bill is, uh, you know, the FDR and uh, the, the Johnson's, uh, you know, Great Society, and 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 really, uh, you know, maybe Trotsky's dream about a about a Marxist society all rolled into one bill. We've got right. uh, five trillion dollars in the cards we've got an infrastructure bill that's tied to that uh, and so you got the guys you just mentioned they're they're supposedly fighting the fight to keep us from uh, uh, bankrupting the country right and you've got you know we'll see how this plays out in the coming days and weeks it's not going to all be resolved very quickly but you know you got the democrats saying 96 percent of our of the democrats support this which is scary you know this this really is a social as you said with the reconciliation and the infrastructure you're five, six trillion dollars, and that's only for the next four or five years. Um, what is missing is when I was in Washington talking to some of my colleagues about, the former colleagues about this, they said, you know, you, we've got Republicans who are going to vote for this infrastructure bill, um, and they're going to vote for it at a time where if Nancy can't pass the infrastructure bill, she's not going to get any of it. 
you know, she's, she's looking for a life ring. And the amazing thing is that sometime, you know, in the near future, we may find that the life ring, the people that tossed her the life ring, were 15 or 20 Republicans who gave, who gave her the votes to actually pass this. And if that happens, I have no idea what happens to the Republican Party, all right? Because, you know, Republicans will say, who is, and I hear it all the time, who's there fighting for us? And if we throw Nancy Pelosi a life ring, they're just going to say, we give up. Now, are these 15 to 20 Republicans in the House? Or these yes. In the there, House? I don't, yeah, I don't think there'll be any in the Senate that would break, no. You know, we were joking before we came on air. You know, I started this program a few years ago to kind of get informed and help other people get informed about what's going on. And the more programs I do, the more I get depressed. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, I, I'm yeah. looking for line, how do we, you know, what, what's our line of action here? How do we, how do we, is there a... Uh... Elections have consequences. Okay. Okay, we lost the election in, in 2020. We can argue, we can discuss how we lost it and all those kinds of things, but the bottom line is we, we lost it. You would think that at this point um, we'd be doing everything to slow, stop, block the Democratic agenda, and because I don't believe this is an agenda that the American people agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's foreign policy, the American people know that we're still at war with the radical jihadist. Uh, they know that China is a threat. Uh, and they know that five trillion or five trillion. Yeah, it's hard to say that word, isn't it? Five trillion dollars more of spending yeah. um, is is not sustainable. We don't we don't have the resources and the and then, you know what we've heard in, in in recent days. Nancy Pelosi and the president saying this will cost us. How much did he say it would cost us? Did you see it? Oh, it's not going to cost us anything. Zero. It's not going to Zero. cost us it's it's nothing. nothing. It's not going to cost us anything. It's no. like, wow. How can it not cost us anything? Well, money is just a construct. You know, it's just, it doesn't really matter, you know. And it's kind of like, <laughs> or, you know, they're, they're, they're saying, yeah, well, okay, maybe it's only going to be the really, really wealthy that are going to pay. I'm sorry, they don't have that much money. Um, and even if they did, you know, it totally changes our... Our way of life but you know the, the concept that they believe that they can go to the american people and actually say it this is going to cost us zero it's like, well we know that's not true and we know reality will bite we know that we're now reaching 28 trillion dollars in debt uh, we keep doing this we could reach 50 trillion in debt in the in the next 10 years or so yeah. um we know that if interest rates go up that the interest rate on the federal debt will get to the point where we can't do anything else except pay interest on the debt. Yeah. Um, we need some grown-ups. <laughs> you know, there were people that were saying the grown-ups are coming back in the room when Joe Biden. But again, I've met, I've met with my Dutch counterparts and other friends from Europe. This is a total surprise. They did not expect this. They did not expect to be blindsided by President Biden just pulling out of Afghanistan. You're watching the Bill Walton Show. I'm here talking with Ambassador Pete Hoekstra, and we're concluding that when Joe Biden said the grown-ups are back in charge, he didn't have himself in mind. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. Uh, I remember when I was in the Netherlands, 
President Trump said, we're pulling our troops out of yeah. Syria. The Europeans protested, and Donald Trump changed his mind. He took their feedback and left a, a small residual force of Americans in Syria. When the Europeans went to Joe Biden and said, you got to leave some troops here in Afghanistan so we can get our people out, you know, keep them here for another 30 or 60 days, but let us get our people out. Mm -hmm. And I don't think our military went to him and said that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if they told him we're going to leave Americans behind, but when the Europeans came to him and said, leave a residual force until we get our people out and then pull out, the president said, no, I'm pulling out when I'm pulling out. And, you know, so... Our European allies are furious. They, he's no longer welcomed in the club, as he, Macron so famously said, what, three or four months ago, or three or four months in the presidency when he met with him, and Macron said, you know, welcome back to the club. And it's kind of like, God, I was there. Mr. President, we don't want to be part of this club. Do you think we we're good? Okay, so he's lost, he's lost uh, the international opinion, good opinion, which yeah. they've all been thinking is so terrific. You and I don't. Right. Uh, his opinion, favorability ratings in the polls have dropped to 40%. It's hard to find those 40. I want to know who those 40 yeah, are. Well, that's a different are, question. Yeah. But at what point, do, and, and his cognitive skills are obviously gone, at, at what point do we have a, I mean, it seems to me we're going to have some, push is going to come to shove, and we're going to have some sort of crisis of leadership here where even the Ds are going to say, look, we need to make a change here because this guy is... Uh, He's, he's made blunder after blunder after blunder. And, you know, we say elections. Elections still over a year off. Uh, right. That's just a that's midterm That's a long election. time. It's a long time. Have a crystal ball? The, um, I mean, the thing that you can hope for is that the Democrats in the House, which I think is the most likely place, although you might pick up a few more senators, um, actually recognize how scary this is. But like I said, the, they estimate, you know, AOC comes out and says, hey, 96% of the Democrats agree with this agenda. They agree with the five, six trillion dollars worth of spending. You know, I, you know it, it used to be that you would find maybe 30% who would be so far out on a branch for that kind of spending. And it would be, you know, the 60 or 70 percent of the moderate Democrats on the middle will say, well, well, we'll humor you for a little while. But eventually we're going to come back and it's going to be maybe another trillion dollars, but it's not going to be another three and a half. I just, well, let me, <laughs> let me. Well, at least we got you smiling. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just doing a, I've always wondered about who's in Congress. It seems to me that we have a lot of people that for one reason or another, their careers allowed them to skip a math class. I mean, do, do, do the individual congressmen really understand what's at stake with these numbers and, and these programs? It's not just the spending. It's the programs that get created that last. They never go away once you put it in place. And, uh, you know, they're doing you know, little things like adding dental to Medicare. When Medicare is on, a, yeah, on, on the verge of going broke in the next, you yeah. know, five years or so. I mean, well, there's a couple of things that happened that 
Um, people just get over so overwhelmed by these numbers and I being would, in the dark that they just don't they don't think they can weigh in. No, I, I think on, on the Republican side, you've got a lot of business people, so they know numbers. Okay. okay. All right. What I was always amazed about is I still I, I worked at Herman Miller, the office furniture company. Well, you're a businessman. Yeah, you, and I you ran on, a big chunk of the business. Yeah, I worked at I worked on new product development. Right. And marketing, so I launched a lot of new products, and. You know, sometimes some of them were what we would call dogs. All right, they did not meet their objectives, and I would be held accountable. Pete, what went wrong? You know, a year in, two years in, or whatever. And what did we learn from this? In Congress, and so in Congress, the success is when you pass the bill. Okay, yeah. so the success for the Democrats now will be passing this three point five trillion dollar spending bill that creates all of these new programs and it ends there then there's no oversight these programs are created and we recognize that a lot of them don't ever work we never kill them we hardly ever reform them uh, because there's no accountability once they get into the bureaucracy you know they have their pet uh, congressmen and women have their <clears throat> pet projects and so you know well you can't kill that scholarship program it has that member's name on it and you know so it's just you know so it it there's no there the ability to hold people accountable and to hold programs accountable for the results that they deliver mm -hmm. does not take place so you never kill a program because you always can find somebody in america who benefits uh from the program who gets a check or whatever that's the problem. You just keep layering on top. Um, it's it's frightening. Well, and isn't it also true that these bills are no longer very specific? They 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 sort of put an intention in there, and then they kick it over to an agency and say, to well, create you, it. "You you do the details to implement it." Yeah, that's right. Now, I wonder is that deliberate so that a congressman who votes for something can say, "Well, I voted for the general idea, but I didn't mean that they would ever do this." Sure. So it's it's passing the accountability buck to the unelected unelected permanent bureaucracy, right? And it's way too big. You know, can a hundred senators manage the kind of spending that's going on on any day? Yeah, four hundred and thirty-five members of the House. They don't have the they don't have the capability and logistics. I mean, you know, when I was on the intel when I chaired the intel committee, we maybe had thirty forty staff to look at spending that was. You know, eighty-five uh, billion dollars. Can't do it. No, you can't do it at all. Well, you know, people. When I first got engaged in political activity, the the, the rage was was term limits. Yeah. And if you have term limits, only in Congress or for X number of years. Yeah. I no longer think term limits are necessarily the end all and be all. I tend to think a lot of the problems in the staff. That never goes away, and in the pure permanent bureaucracy in, in the agencies. I mean, is that a? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the uh, and I was an advocate of term limits, longer term limits, twelve or fourteen, sixteen years. But yeah, the the permanent staff is always there, and you see it more now. The there's too many of them staff and members who are looking for their next job 
Mm-hmm. And that's the private sector mm-hmm. over whom they have oversight. But they also are looking towards for their next job. I, when I was chairman, or before I became chairman of the Intel Committee, I, I, I chaired a subcommittee on satellites, overhead. We, you know, we paid and we built for satellites. And there was a program that was going to be a 10-year program, and let's round the numbers off, 10-year program for $10 billion. And one day, Porter Goss, who was chairman of the committee, came to me and said, Pete, will you take a look at this program? It's, you know, they've one more time, and this is like the third or fourth time this happened. They've just come back and said, it's going to take another year and another billion dollars. So we're now to a 14-year program and a $14 billion program. Would you, will you take a look at this and, and see whether it will ever work? Brought in all the experts from the company, from the bureaucracy, and they said, yeah, Pete, we're there. This is the last time we're going to ask. We can promise you this is the last <laughs> time we're going to ask. And then we brought in outside experts and said, you, you assess this program. And they came back and said, Pete, the program's never going to fly. It's way too complicated. You know, it, it's way too cutting edge. And of course, you know, these are people who want to do cutting edge, and you need to do cutting edge. But yeah. they said, this will never happen. We killed it. Good for you. And I can tell you, once I left Congress, you that, went back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that company never called and said, hey, Pete, how would you like to consult for us? Oh, that's true, yeah. Okay? Yeah. It well, was, I, they wouldn't even return a phone call. I see. You know? Yeah. Now, if we'd kept that project, I'd probably be working for them for, you know, a couple hundred thousand, three, four hundred thousand a year, and life would be, nah, life is good right now. I've got no complaints. Well, you're a freedom fighter. Yeah. And we, that's, it, we, need, we need more freedom yeah, fighters. And we need, you know... What we need on the Republican side is we need cause people, people who are committed to the cause rather than committed to being in Congress. Being in Congress was not the best job I ever had. It was a great I job. I bet Herman Miller was a better job. Herman Miller was a great company. Yeah. It was a great company. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you never know what's going to happen in the private, you know. But, you know, I, I think I could have had a, long, a much longer and more successful career at Herman Miller. But, you know, I will, I never regret the move that I made into Congress. Yeah. Uh, but you don't look at it and say, wow, this is the best job I've ever had. I think it'd be very frustrating. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. So let's, 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 we're going to come back time and time again. We are going to make progress. We are going to make America free again. Yes, I absolutely. Think. So what, take, take us out a little bit. What, what do we, what, what should we be hoping for happens next? The, um, you know, it, uh, elections matter. Okay. Okay. We, we, we need to have a successful 2022. We need to take back at least one of the houses of Congress. Mm -hmm. um, we need to have, and, and we, <coughs> we then need to elect the leaders that will fight for our cause. Um, between now and then, 
we got to do everything we can to motivate grassroots Americans, educate them, let them know what's going on. I, you know, uh, one of the people that uh, was voting for the infrastructure bill and throwing Nancy Pelosi the life ring is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's from Michigan. I did a radio interview. I called him out. And one of the things that I'm hoping is that there'll be hundreds, if not thousands of people in his congressional district who will be calling his office and saying, what are you doing? You know, we know you're more of a moderate, but wait a minute, this is, you're crossing yeah. a line here. Yeah. We've supported you in the past, yeah. but if, if you throw Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden in this massive socialist agenda, if you're the one throwing them the life ring, I'm sorry, we're done. You know, we, uh, we got to be as militant as what the left is on this. We have to have the passion and the energy. And we can do it in very constructive ways, but we have to have this, we have to demonstrate the same passion and energy um, that they do, and that we can do right now. I agree. I'm with you. We're uh, we will win. I'm, I'm optimistic. Okay. Yeah. You know, they say it's a pendulum, but the bottom line is the, these values work. But I, I will tell you, the last hope for freedom is the conservative movement in America versus globalism, you know, the elimination of the nation state, moving our sovereignty into global organizations. You know, you're not going to, you don't find that movement in Europe. We either need to be successful uh, or we will be run by global organizations. That is what they want. You know, and the last hope and the only thing standing before it. Uh, it's a conservative movement in the U.S. It's scary. Right. Yeah. It's not like we got a bunch of allies in other parts of the world. It's us. Yeah. That's the motivating factor. If not us, then who? Ambassador P. Kostra, thank you. It was great. Yeah. Really, really. And, uh, and, and you obviously care a lot, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, and I'm glad you stayed in the fight, and I'm glad you killed that program so yeah. we could keep you, keep you at Center for Security Policy. So right. anyway, thanks Great. for being with us. And Good to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, You've been watching The Bill Walton Show, and uh, you can find the show on CPAC now on, on Monday nights at 7 o'clock, and also we're on all the major uh, webcast podcast platforms, and uh, stay tuned. and. We'll have Ambassador Hoekstra back and other people uh, talking about national defense and the issues we face. So thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.